You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. New on our series in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, please open it with me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 11 <clears throat> all the way through 26. And before you open it, we're also going to have scripture on the screen. But before you open it, I just want to uh, give you a little bit of context of what's happening. If you were not here uh, before with us, we are, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 3. And at the beginning of chapter 3, after uh, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples in chapter 2, and Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, and 3,000 people become believers, then the disciples just continue doing life together. And one day, Peter and John are going to prayer, and uh, they see this man laying on the ground that has been there for 40 years almost, and he's asking for money. That's what this guy did. He was a beggar. He was there. People would take him and leave him there, and then probably at the end of the day, pick him back up and take him home. But this guy would beg for money. That's, that was his way of surviving. So they're going to prayer to the temple, according to their Jewish traditions, and uh, this man reaches out to them, and he asks for money. And Peter reaches down and tells him, I don't have money, I don't have gold or silver, but I do have this. And he heals him in the name of Jesus. And the man uh, is grabbed by the hand and pulled up, and he stands up on his feet, and everybody notices this. And this is happening in a gate that was a very, um, uh, how do you say that? There's a lot of people there. I, I'm thinking of a word in Spanish, and I can't translate it. That's usually what happens when I have a, a problem like this. Um, uh, concurrent, or there's a lot of people in that. And uh, so there's a, a commotion happening. And so people start to noticing, because everybody knew this, this guy who used to be a beggar, and now he's on his feet, and he's healed, and he's happy, and he enters the temple, and he's uh, worshiping Jesus and praising God. He's next to Peter and John, so there's a crowd gathering, and they continue to go into the temple, and this is where our text today begins. So Acts 3, chapter uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, and it says this. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, all utterly astounded, ran together to them at the portico, in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and in his name, or in, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. 
and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> So the first thing we notice is that Peter asked the crowd uh, probably a little bit of a weird question. Peter stands there. A crowd gathers. People are following him, following them from the gate called the Beautiful into the, into the portico of Solomon, which is deeper inside the temple. And he asks, why do you wonder about this? Or why do you stare at us? And if you think about it, this is a weird question because miracles are supposed to create this, right? This is not something we see every day. So if a man that wasn't walking for 40 years suddenly starts to walk, it's obvious that people are going to stare at him and look at Peter saying, what happened? But Peter asked this quote-unquote weird question. But Peter is not being sarcastic. In fact, he is surprised that these people are surprised. And the reason why is because about a month ago or a few weeks ago, there was this man that used to do this on a regular basis. What we are reading about is not years after Jesus is gone. This is literally weeks after Jesus was crucified. And mostly or most probably these people were people who saw Jesus Walking around Jerusalem, walking around the temple, healing people left and right, raising the dead, doing miracles. So Peter is looking at them, saying, why are you surprised at this? This happened before. But the reason why the people were surprised, what I'm probably thinking is that they were not necessarily surprised at the miracle itself. But maybe they were like, wait, we've seen this before, but this is a new face. This is not the same guy that used to do this. This is, this is someone new. Is this, is this a new master? Or, I'm sorry, a new teacher, a new prophet, a new somebody who's coming? But Peter tells them something that is important for us to hear today too. The same guy that was performing miracles a few weeks ago, 
is doing it still right now. And people were like, what? Because nothing can stop the power of God. These Jews were surprised because all of them mostly saw Jesus being arrested, being tried unjustly, being beaten, being crucified. They also saw him being buried. And they thought, all right, this is all over. It was a good time. Thank you for healing all the people you healed. Thank you for the lunch that day. And Peter and John say, wait, 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 no. He's still here. The one who healed this man that you see standing next to us is that guy that you killed and that your leaders killed. And this probably shocked them even more. They couldn't believe it. What do you mean? He's not dead? And Peter actually says, no, he came back to life and we saw him. Because there's nothing that can stop the power of God to change and transform people. There is no match to God's power or the power of Jesus. There is nothing that can stop him. If you think about it, death is not a match to God's power. Suffering is not a match. Sin is not a match. Kings and Romans, Roman armies are no match for God. The problems and circumstances are no match to the power of Jesus. Sicknesses and injustice are no match. Money or the lack of it is not a match for God. Not even Satan is a match to our powerful God. There is absolutely nothing impossible for God. And this Jesus came back to life and in front of everybody is continuing to heal people, but now in a different way. He not only came back to life and is seating, seated in the heavens as a conqueror and as a ruler. No. He never left. Even though he left, he actually multiplied. He now lives in many people. There's not just one Jesus in one time working. Now there is Many people that represent Jesus, where Jesus lives inside of them, all over the place. Jesus indwelled his disciples through the power of his Holy Spirit. And instead of one Jesus, now there's millions of Jesus, or, or representatives of Jesus, around the world. That's exactly what Galatians 2.20 says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So these Christians are representatives of Jesus, his disciples. And they have the exact same power that Jesus had when he was on earth. This is exactly what Paul tells the, the, the church in Rome. In Romans 8, 10 to 11, he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So just like... Two days or two 
two months after Jesus' death and crucifixion and, 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 and uh, resurrection, he continues to heal and save people. It's still happening now and today. Nothing has changed. Time is also not a match to God's power. The same power that was present in the crucifixion and in the resurrection and in the, in the, in the uh, Holy Spirit coming to people and in all the healings that we see in the New Testament is still present today with us right now. Nothing has changed. His power continues to be active today in the exact same way that it will be two million years from now because he is all-powerful Always, and he lives in us. He lives in you, and he can continue to change and heal people's lives if we, like Peter, take the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and point people to Jesus. They understood it wasn't them, they didn't have any power of their own, it was the power of Jesus that was working through them. And the power of Jesus continues to work through us today. He can work through you in your school. He can work through you at work. He, he can work through you anywhere. The power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit walks around with you everywhere you go. Every, every time we open up our mouths and share Jesus with people, there is something spiritual happening that we cannot see and we cannot control. And that is not us. That is not because of your good or your knowledge or your theology or your righteousness. It's because of the power of God in you. Nothing can stop the power of Jesus. Yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're a Christian, I want to remind you that you are a representative of Jesus anywhere you go. And I want you to notice something. This is a regular day for Peter and John. This is not a big event. This is not a, a massive organized thing. No. God used them to do something incredible on a regular everyday day. And God will use you in the exact same way. We don't need a special anything for God to show up and change somebody's life. He can do it any day. We don't need a conference. We don't need a campaign or an evangelistic effort or any organized anything. We just need all of us to open our mouths and share Jesus with people, and God will do the rest. He can use you at the store. He can use you, use you at the park. He can use you at work, in your house, in your neighborhood, online. And just like Peter and John, God can use you as you go to prayer on Friday at Chu's house from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., just like Peter and John were doing. If we read a little bit ahead, God saved over 5,000 people on that everyday day. Acts 4, 4 says, but many of, the, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came about 5,000. That's just crazy. So I want to encourage us to be expectant because nothing can stop the power of God. 
And if you're not a believer, I really want to invite you to experience this power that God has to change lives. There is no match for God. Your addictions, your problems, your issues, your situation is no match to our powerful God. And he wants to change that situation today and tomorrow and forever. All you need to do is just like Peter said, and we'll get to that in a minute, believe in him, repent, give your life to him. But I want to encourage you to try and test Jesus. He is the source of life. And Jesus cares about us. That is my next thing. I love this passage because it shows that Jesus cares about the whole of our being. And we've been talking about this before. But I, I, as I said before, I want to <clears throat> point out the fact that this miracle, as many of the miracles uh, that Jesus uh, performed and, and the disciples now perform, are evidences, proofs that the gospel addresses and cares about the whole of the person, not just their spiritual or eternal salvation or just their soul, or their spirit. The gospel also cares about your physical and concrete material needs today as well. And the reason why I emphasize this so much is because different Christians tend to lean heavily on one of those sides. And some Christians, for example, tend to see the gospel, or Christianity, or our faith, as something that's removed from this earth, as something that is to come in the future, something that is just something that's just going to happen in eternity. They also emphasize our future glory, our eternal life with Jesus. They focus on the soul and the spirit of the person, the inward work of Jesus that, that helps us endure this awful and painful life on earth. And there is an emphasis on that. And that is true, but it's incomplete. Because the corrective for this uh, Christianity is, is, is to remind them that the God of the universe, the God who created everything, cares and saves the whole of the person. In fact, he is restoring all things to a new heaven and a new earth. He is the one who came up with the idea of you having feelings. He is the one who came up with the idea of you having a flesh. He is the one who came up with the idea of you having relationships with one another. He is the author of that, and he cares about that because he created that. He also created your inner being, your character, your soul, your spirit, and he also cares for that, and he also cares for the future, but he also cares for today. There's other kinds of Christians that focuses too much on this earth. And they talk about how Jesus provides for our bodies and our relationships. And Jesus is all about providing and protecting us. He is the good shepherd, which is true. He gives us joy and he provides and gives us prosperity. And, and he helps us in our suffering here. And that is also true. But it's also incomplete. The corrective to this kind of Christianity is to remember that the eternal and future hope of our salvation is also valid and even better. Everything we see here is just a glimpse of what is to come. But we don't need to fight over both. We see in the same passage how Jesus heals a person's needs and he also heals his soul. And not only his, but thousands of people's. So this is a beautiful passage is that because we see how Jesus works 
and everything in the whole of the man. This is what Jesus did when he was on earth as well. In Luke chapter 5, and we're not going to read it, but you, you'll, you'll remember that <coughs> Jesus is gathered. And people are, are listening to him. He's teaching. And then suddenly some people break the roof of a house to uh, bring a paralytic man to Jesus. Remember that? Uh, and then the Pharisees are peeking and trying to see and trying to catch Jesus on, on something he would say to, to arrest them or to uh, criticize him. And the guy comes in front of Jesus or falls in front of Jesus or is laid down in front of Jesus. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, your sins are forgiven, which is kind of weird. But Jesus did it on purpose because he noticed that the Pharisees and the legalistic people were around him. And he's like, your sins are forgiven. And he doesn't stop there. He says, which one is easier, to forgive sins or to heal a man? And he says, I'll do both. And he does both. And the guy gets up and walks, forgiven and healed. Because that is the kind of God we have. He cares about the whole of us. And then this continues to happen around the time of the book of Acts. In chapter 2 we read, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So when we talk about miracles, we can't only talk about the miracle of salvation, which is a true miracle, but there's also other things that God is doing as well. And these wonders and these signs include healings, provision, relationships that are uh, mended, and God is working in people's lives, in their souls, in their spirits, in everything. Peruvian theologian, one of my favorite theologians, René Padilla, he has a book that unfortunately is only in, in Spanish. It's, its name is the Gospel, the, Evangelio hoy, the Gospel Today. <clears throat> and he says, the salvation that the gospel proclaims is not limited to the reconciliation of man with God. It encompasses the total reconstruction of man in all the dimensions of his being. It has to do with the recovery of the whole man to God's original purpose and creation. And this is exactly what, P what, what Peter is saying. In fact, in verse 20, he says that Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for restoring all the things. God is working not only on our souls. He's working on all of our being. He's restoring our physical needs as well as our material needs and our spiritual needs. What does this mean for us? It means that as Christians... And even as non-Christian, God cares about what you're going through right now. Even if sometimes sounds silly or dumb to other people. I have a, a brief example, and I think I've mentioned this before, but <clears throat> at some point in college, and my college was all about giving us courses and these workshops on all kinds of different things. And I remember clearly that at one point, I realized that I've never heard my father tell me I love you. And that was something I never even thought before. I just saw and I noticed my dad was very serious, and some of you met him. Um, but it never bothered me until one day I was like, he's never told me he loves me. And then I started getting more into it. And then I started feeling the desire 
to hear from my dad that he loved me. And I started feeling really sad. And I started asking God to please help me or move my dad to tell me that he loves me. And I remember talking to my dad on the phone because I was in college. And I would start to say, I love you. And just kind of waiting and see if he would respond. And he never did. Um, I don't think he's ever said it till this day. And honestly, I struggled a lot during that time because one part of me said, oh, Chewie, shut up. That's just stupid. Come on. You're a grown man. You're, you're about to start your own life. Just shut up and continue. You're good. Focus on the good things. But in reality, within me, I really had this need. And I prayed, and people told me, that people that I shared this with, they told me, well, God loves you. And I was like, yeah, I know. And nobody seemed to understand, and I don't think anybody needed to understand. But I remember at some point, at one time, by myself, without anyone, I read Isaiah 43, and you can read it on your own later. And God made me weep. I was like, there he is. He tells me that he loves me. He tells me that he's going to be with me in the thick of it and in the good times. And I just... I just wept. And, and, and I don't know why God satisfied that need in a supernatural way. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, whatever, Chewie, shut up and keep going. And th- maybe you're right. But God cared about me to the point that at some point he just satisfied this need. Because he loves us. He is our father. And if you're a dad here, you have done things for your kids that are just silly, but you just love them, and you just want to see them happy. And this is the kind of God that we have. We were created in his image. And the reason, or everything that I'm talking about is all wrapped into one thing that Peter continues to say, and it's a message that screams that God loves us. It's the message of the gospel. It's the good news that is available to all of us. And this is actually the central point of the entire text. This is the second time Peter preaches. And it's the second Christian sermon ever that was ever preached from the church or in the church or even outside of the church. And the whole text is saturated with the gospel. And most scholars say that the first and the second sermon that Peter preaches are the standard for what any Christian preaching should be. And if you read it, it's saturated with the good news for everyone. So what is it that we, if if you're here and you're new, I want you to pay attention to this. And even if you're not new, I want you to pay attention to this too. This is our message. What does the gospel mean? The gospel uh, comes from the word evangelion in Greek or uh, in Latin, evangelium, and basically means good news, right? So if an army defeated, defeated another army, a messenger would be sent back home with the good news, with the evangelion, with the gospel of we won, That was a message. There was nothing you needed to do about other than just celebrate it. That was it. 
It was a message given to you, and you had two options. You either believe it or you don't believe it. But if you believe it, then you would celebrate, and the whole country or city would be, yeah, we won. Well, that is the message of Christianity. Christianity is not rules or steps or laws. Christianity is not, hey, we came back, and in order for you to win the war, we need to do this. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, hey, Jesus won. Now you can either believe it or not believe it and enjoy what comes from it. That's what Christianity is. The gospel for us Christians is the good news of what the Father did and is doing and will continue to do through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus to save the condemned sinners like you and me. The gospel is the only Christian message. It's not the ABC. It's the A through C of our faith. And it's also the the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I want you to notice, Peter points out the fact that we are sinners, which is one of the first things that the gospel tells us. God created us in a perfect way, in an amazing place. He made this beautiful globe, and he put us in the middle with beautiful rivers and trees and awesome landscapes, and he created this for us so that we would multiply and be fruitful and be in communion with him. He gave us creativity. He gave us love. He gave us friendship. He helped us to procreate, and he made us free, and he also made us to be with him all the time. And in our freedom, which, by the way, is always subordinate to God's freedom or sovereignty, we chose to turn our backs to him. But everything that God created was good. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But because he made us free, we chose ourselves. Soon after we were created, we chose to disobey God. And I say we... Because we're talking about all of humanity. We sin because our fathers, Adam and Eve, sinned. They were the first ones to disobey God. But we also sin because just like them, we decide daily to turn our backs on God and choose ourselves. Just like our fathers. In theological terms, we sin because of our nature. We are by nature sinners. And we also sin Because we're sinners and we like our sins. We choose to do it. This is what we do. This is who we are. And sin is what put Jesus on that cross. Sin is what made Jesus die for us. And Peter rightly says that we denied the holy and righteous one. We denied him in the presence of Pilate. We delivered him. And Peter goes on to even say, we killed the author of life. And this is not an exaggeration. It is true. I know that in an individualistic society, blaming everyone seems like an, uh, an exaggeration, but it is not. All of us, as the human race, turn our backs on God 
And because of that, God sent his son to die for us. We rejected Jesus. We killed Jesus. And we continue to deny Jesus. And on top of that, we enjoy our sin. We want our sin. In fact, we didn't ask Jesus to come because we liked our sin. The only reason why sometimes we stop liking our sin is because it starts to hurt us, which is what it's meant to do. But we love our sins so much that we have normalized it. Even though it causes pain all around us, we are addicted to it, we are enslaved to it in biblical terms. We have regulated it, we have legislated it into our laws. And talking about sin today is weird, is legalistic, is insensitive, is intolerant. But one of the most loving things that God does through his scripture is confronting us to our sin. And telling us, you're walking away from me and you're going to hurt yourself. And that is hard for us to hear. Just as children, one more time, my kids hate it when I say that. You're going to get hurt. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. It's going to make you do something that you don't want. You're not going to enjoy that. Thankfully, we have a good God that's not like me. And sometimes let them go through it and enjoy the pain. Mostly with my boys. I've done that many times. Like You're going to fall, and then they fall. <coughs> uh, but our God is not like, like us. And he comes and rescues us. Yet, there is a place that is reserved for people who continue to walk away from him. There is a place that is precisely what people want. When we say, God, I'm going to turn my back to you and I'm going to walk the other way because my way is better than your way, we will end up in a place that is called hell, a place of suffering, a place of darkness, a place of fear, horror, hate, sadness, death, pain, suffering. Everything that is not like God will be there. Everything that is the opposite of who God is will be there, and it's forever, and it's horrible. And that's what we're choosing when we're saying no to God. And the reality is that some of us sitting here think that we're Christian, but we continue to make these horrible decisions daily, thinking that because we are saved by grace, we can continue to think like nothing is going to happen. But I have good news for you. Repent. Turn around. Because that place is horrible. And we don't want anyone to go there. But this place right here, the presence of God is beautiful. It's eternal. There is love. There is friendship. There is peace. There is everything you can imagine a million times better. And the best thing of all is that Jesus will be there forever. And ignorance is not an excuse. Peter says, I know, brothers, that you acted in ignorance, as, as did also your rulers, but he still calls them to repent. But I want to make a pause here. God 
had everything under control always. If you're thinking that every, something on the, in God's plan didn't work out, you're wrong. This is also what Peter tells them. This is not a good, a new thing. He's talking to Jews. And Jews have this already preconception of how the Messiah should be and what God should do. And, and they look at Peter and they look at John and they're like, is this like a new thing you're bringing? And he's like, no, 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 no. This is what it's always been all about. This is what God has been doing. And he foretold for the, to the prophets for thousands of years that the Christ would suffer. In fact, the first time that we hear a mention of what Jesus was going to do was in Genesis 3. God curses the women and the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the women, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, meaning the serpent. No, I'm, I'm sorry. He shall bruise your head. He's talking about a male that will bruise the serpent's head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that is the first time we see Jesus prophesied, foretold. When Peter says that, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And Peter says to these Jews, this is even what Abraham is all about. Remember how God told Abraham that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed? Well, he was talking about Jesus. That's exactly what verse 25 and 26 says. Saying to Abraham, and in, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent to you first, it wasn't exclusive to the Jews, to bless you by turning everyone every one of you from your wickedness. It was for everyone. It was for us today as well. This is not a new thing. God had already everything planned. And he sends his son to die for us. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he, Jesus, the Father, thus fulfilled. Fulfilled. Jesus lives the perfect human life as the perfect human. He's 100% human. He's 100% God. He's not 50-50. He's 100-100. He can do that because he's God. He does everything we're not able to do. He always does the, father will, the Father's will. He never sins. He substitutes us by being the perfect human, by loving God perfectly and by loving others perfectly. He is our substitute. He also dies at the hands of sinners in our place. He pays for our sin because the payment of sin is death. He, he suffers the payment of our sin because suffering is one of the payments of sin as well. Jesus is our substitute as that he comes and he suffers for us and he dies for us. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus, being 100% God as well, defeats death. He comes back to life on the third day. He not only defeats death, he also defeats sin and defeats Satan simultaneously through his resurrection. And Peter says, I am a witness of this. Jesus did everything we needed to do, not because we asked him or wanted to, but because God wanted us 
He wanted a relationship with us. So God came down and fought the battle that we were supposed to fight, and he won. And now we have a message. And the messenger comes back, and I am here telling you, he won. And you have a choice to enjoy that freedom by believing it or rejecting it. And Peter tells this juice, he won. The Messiah came and he defeated not the Romans, but our worst enemy, sin and death and Satan. This is your opportunity. Believe it. Repent. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what we need to do. And we need to do it all the time. Just like Evan said, repeating what Martin Luther said, the life of the believer is a life of repentance. Because every time we hear the gospel, we should be moved to repentance because guess what? Just like Martin Luther said, we are still sinners at the same time as we are justified. And if you are not a believer, I want to ask you, repent. Believe. He won. He won for you. You don't have to be doing this horrible, difficult life on your own. You don't need to try to carry your burdens by yourself. We have help. He won. Please believe it. Repent. Turn around and walk this way. That is the better way. It's the hard way, but it's the better way. You don't need to fight. It's not by works. You do not earn your salvation. You believe your salvation. And that belief produces fruit in you. We are saved by grace. And by grace we have an eternal, abundant life that begins now. And I need to finish. Because I already went way over What do we do with this? Feel free to access God anytime. The gospel is good news for everything. Pray for you. Pray for your brother. Pray for your neighbor. Talk to God all the time. He cares about you. He's your father. But do the same with others. Show Jesus to others. Peter took this opportunity, and 5,000 people came to Jesus. Do not miss opportunities. People out there need Jesus desperately and you and i are jesus's representative everywhere we go please stand up with me and we're going to take communion and we're going to remember what jesus did for us as he was punished in our place and tortured and killed So when you come forward, if you're a believer, every time you chew that bread, you remember that the body of Jesus was uh, punished and tortured and beaten on your behalf. And when you drink that cup, that juice or that wine, you remember that through his blood, through his suffering, you now have forgiveness of sin. Your sins have been blotted out. You now have eternal life. And we do this as a public proclamation of our faith in Christ.